Hi, my name is Edis Triano, and I'm responsible for the Metrocell growth and product line evolution within Comscope. I'm Kat Folger, and I'm our overlay technical sales for our outdoor small cell product line with a focus on Metrocell at Comscope. I'm Catherine Speglia, and this is Well Technically, the tech podcast where women do the explaining. Today's episode is a bit different as I have two guests from Comscope here with me. So the conversation is going to be a bit bigger and maybe a bit longer. So Idis and Kat, thanks so much for being here with me. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Good to talk to you again, Kat. Can you both just give me a bit of a background on the role that you have at Comscope? And we can start with Idis. Sure. Um, so my role here at Comscope is really within our Metrocell product line, and that's the Comscope term for outdoor small cell solutions, um, including the concealment solutions. So my responsibility is product evolution, product development, and then the growth and serving the market needs. And I assist Idis's product line in uh, managing the sales aspect of it. So since it's a little bit more technical of a product line, as opposed to some of Comscope's legacy product lines, I enable our sales account managers regionally to interact with their customers and make sure that the full solution that we're providing is what the customers are looking for. And at the same time, understanding what the customers are looking for going forward to make sure that our product and our product evolution is in line with what they're looking to deploy going forward. And before delving deeper into some of that, I'm going to ask my next question, the one that I ask all of my guests. So Kat, what is an example of a time in which being a woman has empowered you? I was thinking about this for a while. um, And I started thinking about being in meetings and typically a lot of times I'm the only female. So being able to be looked at as being someone who is respected enough and has the technical knowledge to present and have the respect of mainly men in the room, uh, especially for me, my, my mom was a programmer um, in tech 30 years ago. So when she would walk into meetings, she'd have to list off all of her criteria and credentials as to why she should even be let into the room to have a meeting. So we've come so far that now I can be looked to as someone who is technical and presenting material to help all of our customers. Um, So I hope to empower others to ensure that, you know, women can continue doing this going forward, but also hopefully that there are more women in these meetings and conversations and it's not just one or two in each room. Yeah. That point about having to prove you even deserve to be in the room, I think is, is a good point. And like you said, hopefully something we're moving away from. <laughs> okay, Idis, what about you? Yeah, and hey, Kat, I love that, right? What you said, and it's and it's so true that those before us, right, paved the way, right? And, and we now pay it forward, if you will. Um, but, you know, I, I think for, for me, you know, feeling empowered is, I don't have a specific moment, um, but it's more of a, a continuous 
a continuous initiative and, and feeling. And it happens during those gut check moments, right? When you have to really put yourself out there and make a decision, a recommendation, have a viewpoint that's different and doing so, you know, owning it, taking 100% accountability, responsibility, and with conviction. That, that's kind of where I get, I get that feeling of, of empowerment because I also feel I'm heard. But, but I have to tell you, I also feel empowered when I see women on my team do it. And then personally, when, when my own kids do it, my own daughters, right? Um, so that paying it forward is, is, brings that feeling about as well. What you said about seeing other women on your team or other women you care about, like your daughters doing those empowering things, it, it reminded me of what's pretty cool is that I find doing this podcast empowering, which I didn't actually expect going into it. I mean, the empowering question was one of the first things I came up with when coming up with this podcast, but just being able to speak with women in the tech industry and hearing the things that empower them and just hearing their incredible knowledge, I I feel like I've been more empowered lately. So that's been a cool byproduct that I didn't expect. Absolutely. Okay, so you're both here today to discuss some of the challenges and opportunities around small cell deployment, as well as where that market is heading. With that being said, I thought we could just kind of get right into it by talking about what you believe a mobile operator's key consideration should be when deploying outdoor small cells. Idis, did you want to start? Uh, yeah, perfect. I will. Um, and then let Kat pick up where, <laughs> where I leave off or what she wants to add. You know, several considerations. Outdoor small cells, um, they're, I think they're complicated, right? Obviously, you have where you need to deploy them from a network standpoint. But also this cost of deployment and return on investment, because it is somewhat of a a underlay network. Uh, So that definitely factors in. And then of course, speed of deployment. How quickly can you actually do it? That doability, right? How to do it quickly and how to scale. And then, you know, the final consideration, because it is, such of a street furniture play is how do you plan for the future, right? How do these carriers plan for the future and the advancement of technologies? So you're not going back and having to change out a product or a solution that you worked so hard to deploy the first time. Yeah. And Kat, did you have anything to add? I think you nailed it. <laughs> so that's no, nothing to add. All right. Perfect. On to the next question then. But I am going to start with you, Kat, this time. Sure. (laughs) So according to a report that I read uh, called Small Cells Market Status Report, more than 10 million new small cells are expected to be deployed between 2017 and 2025 around the world. Do you agree with this estimation? Like, I'm trying to get a better picture of how many small cells we can really expect and how that really translates into (laughs) the challenge that it'll be. Absolutely. Um, So I think it's important to understand the scope of small cells and, you know, Edison and I are in um, outdoor small cells, but there are also indoor small cells and um, small cells play a part in not only outdoor densification, street furniture, like we mentioned, uh, wiring any kind of building or venues. So there are a lot of applications that are considered small cells. Um, And then when 
these market status reports are generated, what they use for their um, data on how many small cells is radios. It's the easiest thing to track, right? How many radios are sold and, and deployed annually. Um, but now that all of the carriers are acquiring so much spectrum, trying to deploy all of their spectrum, they need the bandwidth uh, at each node. Each location has more than one radio. So to say there are 10.25 million new small cells radios, but that's not necessarily locations. Um, so I do think that there will be a huge influx of small cells, um, especially as we move towards 5G. And we're really going to see the spike in small cells come when we have the devices that are going to utilize 5G. Because right now we don't have that many. So from a planning perspective and where do uh, the operators need capacity or from a private networks perspective, um, CBRS is really just taking off in the U.S., so that will explode for private networks, and you don't have to own the spectrum to use that. So that's really open the door to a lot of non-traditional um, companies who are looking to deploy frequency for different uses than just your traditional um, your carriers that that provide cell phone service. Um, so there there will be an influx. Um, is it going to be 10.25 million? You know, I don't necessarily know the exact numbers. So <laughs> if you learn, then, you know, let us know too. But um, once we meet that, that uh, trajectory of we have all of the devices and use cases that are going to require all of this ramp in small cells, but also we're still at the infancy of this and we still have a lot of um influencers, whether it's jurisdictions or power companies or whoever needs to approve these small cells to be deployed, still understanding the impacts of it and what are they looking for in order to progress the approval process uh, to get these deployed. So once those two things really start to smooth out um, and, and the permitting process and deployment process becomes a little bit more mainstream um, and streamlined, then we'll really see a ramp. Today's episode of Well Technically is brought to you by Comscope. Using outdoor metro cell concealment solutions is the smart, fast, and cost-effective way to expand capacity, boost performance, improve reliability, and take your wireless network to the next level. Discover more at comscope.com. It is when you and I spoke a few months ago, we talked about how when it comes to network densification, a mobile solutions aesthetics are kind of as important as the technical performance. What is your perspective on why aesthetics is so important? If we can rehash that a little bit, because I think it was an interesting topic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you're right, you know, aesthetics play a very important role in the design and deployment of outdoor and that speed, right? That speed that I talked about, outdoor small cell um, scale. Um, and, and I think it's really acute to small cell because unlike macro, outdoor small cells are typically deployed down at the street level on street furniture. Um, and you don't really have that on the macro side. So that's where this aesthetic value is much higher on, on small cells. 
Now, now obviously a street light with a small cell on it isn't going to look exactly like a street light, right? It, it will look a little different. And the, the trick is how do you conceal those radios, the cables, the antennas, blend it into the environment so that you have enough standardization so that they look the same, right? So when things look the same, they don't look as out of place. And how do you, you balance, how do you balance that level of concealment to meet citizens' requirements? We're all citizens of our own communities, right? So we're all very concerned about how our, our communities look. But how do you balance that with um, Kat mentioned the influencer space, what carriers need, what the public utilities need from a powering standpoint, and what the municipalities need to um, protect. So it is a balance that you have to meet in order to scale deployments. And that's why this, this aesthetic definition and value is, is so critical for outdoor small cells. Since I started getting more into the infrastructure side of this industry, I've noticed myself like looking for you know, cell sites and equipment and, or I just other type of infrastructure in a city. And I'm like, why don't I find, you know, lamp posts unappealing? And the truth is, is because they've always been there and because they all look the same. So it's cohesive. So I think that's actually a really interesting point that, you know, we get nervous about new infrastructure, but the reality is, is if you do it in a standardized way, we like barely will notice. (laughs) Like I don't notice when a new lamppost goes up, if it looks the same as all the other ones. So I think that's a good point. Yeah. Something else that I've been thinking about is, you know, when you put all this equipment behind a concealment box or something, how can you ensure that the signal you're getting and all the, you know, technical performance, how is that maintained and how can you ensure that? So Kat, I wanted to ask you, how do you make sure that the performance isn't being compromised in the name of concealment and aesthetics? That's a great question. Um, when we as Comscope look at concealment, we don't just look at here's a box or here's a pole. We look at it from a what we consider solution level, which is the entire site. So whether it's a telephone pole and you're putting Uh, radios on the side of it and the antenna on the top, or if it's a fully integrated pole with the radios in the base and the antenna on top, and it is meant to blend in with the existing street infrastructure, we first start with what are all the components necessary? It's not just putting a radio in a box. It's how many power supplies will it need? How much heat does it generate? Um, where's my airflow going? Where are the fins on the radios? So do I have to orient it a specific way to ensure that it receives the correct cooling? Um, Do I need fans as a result if I need to put it in a smaller form factor or if they're higher powered radios? And then at the same time, am I allowing enough space on the pole or minimizing the space on the pole for the coax jumpers from the radios to the antennas to make sure that there isn't an excess amount of loss there, which would result in degraded service coming out of the antenna. But also when you mount the antenna, do I have space to connectorize it all? Um, We have done a really nice job of 
creating different mounting options so that we don't conceal fully the 4G antennas because we we don't feel that it's necessary if your design is done incorporating the antenna with the correct um, we have like taper collars or different pull top mounts so that it makes it really streamlined and you don't have to put anything else over the antenna. Similarly for millimeter wave, we've developed um, different mounting options or minimal concealment because putting anything in front of those, they're integrated antennas, extremely high frequency, really sensitive to anything in front of it, completely negates the propagation and you just completely lose your small cell propagation. So we have different options that will leave the face of the antenna exposed so that we don't degrade any of that service, but make it a little bit more aesthetically appealing. Uh, And you mentioned different mounting designs. So I did actually want to talk a little bit more specifically about Comscope solutions and the different types of designs and configurations that the company offers and why an operator might pick one over the other. Um, And Kat, I mean, if you want to start again with that. Sure. So what we've done, um, and it, it plays into the aesthetics, but it also plays into what radio requirements each carrier is looking to deploy. So we have um, ranges of integrated solutions that are a little bit more aesthetically appealing. We have mounting solutions, so enclosures that go on the side of the pole or concealed canister looking shrouds that go on the top of the pole. So it depends on what the carriers are looking to deploy from a radio configuration. So if they use some of the larger radios, they have um, a few less options, but we still have options on the middle of the pole or the bottom of the pole. But if they're using lower wattage radios, they can put them uh, integrated all the way up the pole or in the bottom or the side or the top of the pole. So they have the flexibility based on what radios they're looking to deploy, um, as well as what the jurisdictional aesthetic requirements are to meet all of those by just picking different, uh, we call them modular options. So they all fit together really nicely. Um, So standard off-the-shelf products that they can pick and choose parts of in order to meet their needs. It is if you want to add. When we're thinking about these options, right, you have to take a, and we, maybe you don't have to, but we took a very inclusive um, approach. And what I I mean by that is before we set out on any designs, um, really trying to understand the technical requirements as Kat talked about, but understand everybody else's viewpoints. And there's not one solution that's gonna fit every situation, right? So you had to have, and you have to have this very broad set of solutions. Street over street, street lights look different. The aesthetics are different street over street. So on one street, you might have a pole top that fits the aesthetics and the technical needs. The next street, you need a little more aesthetic value and concealment. So you have to have that that integrated pole where everything's concealed within the pole. And does every carrier deploy all of these configurations and solutions, you know, depending on location or need, or, or do they tend to stick to one kind of, what are they thinking about when choosing which configuration to use? Oh, and it is, you can start. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Right. Um, so, you know, I, I mentioned a little earlier, we talked a little bit about the importance, right? It's, it's you know, speed and cost. And um, if everything looks the same, it doesn't seem so out of place. We, we kind of mentioned that. Um, so in order to reach scale, yeah, it's easier if you're deploying the same solution, right? It's repeatable. You know what it looks like. It's easier if you're doing that time and time again. So we would all like for that level of standardization. Um, the reality is that what you'll see is a specific configuration being deployed in a certain area of a city or a municipality. And that is repeatable, but then maybe somewhere else or the adjacent you know, municipality, it may be another solution. And then that would be consistent and repeatable. And that's where I think we need to go. Kat, did you have anything to add? From a carrier perspective, a lot of what they're looking at and, and designing around is what are the characteristics of the location that they're trying to cover. If it's dense urban, they might go with lower wattage radios because they're going to put them closer together because there's a huge concentration of traffic that they're trying to cover in a really close proximity. Whereas if they're trying to cover maybe uh, the suburbs or a shopping plaza that has traffic occasionally, they might use a different configuration where they have one or two higher powered radios um, maybe at a higher rad center where the antenna is a little bit higher on the pole so that they can kind of cover that parking lot, for example, with you know, the higher power. Whereas if they had put lower power, it would cover maybe a section of the shopping plaza. Um, so it's entirely use case based, especially when they get into millimeter wave, as you mentioned before, it doesn't propagate very far. So they're going to need them uh, every 300 yards or so. So it is dependent on what they're trying to accomplish. Are they trying to get in-building penetration? Are they trying to cover an intersection? So they need all of those variations in configurations, which results in a necessary variation in the concealment and uh, mounting options to allow them to optimize their network for what they're trying to accomplish. When I first started learning about concealment of cell sites, I first thought of those trees that they have that look like they're actually just telephone poles that they disguise to look like trees. Okay. Those to me don't really work. And you know, if Comscope ends up having uh, tree solutions, I can edit all of this out, but we don't, (laughs) we don't, (laughs) I, I guess, you know, are those old or are there new like tree concealment installations going up? Is that still a thing? That's a macro thing, right? That, and, and, you know, it, it, I, that's kind of the world I came out of a long time ago. Won't say how long. Um, <laughs> but it was looked upon as a great way to try to conceal. But then I think as a few of them were deployed and, and people noticed that, oh, oh my gosh, I think that stands out worse than just having the monopole there. You saw fewer and fewer of them, fewer of them. Right. Not to mention, you know, in in the fall and winter, the leaves never fall off. (laughs) That's true. I guess it would only work for some climates. I mean, I think it's an interesting case because it points to how challenging it is to come up with truly effective 
concealment options. It seems like a good idea, right? Like you were saying, but in practice, you're like, oh, wait, this is not really working. So I think it kind of just points to, to the challenge of it. All right. So for my last question, it's much more of a general question. I, I just wanted to sort of get the sense of where you two think the, the small cell market is going moving forward. So it is beyond the trend of growth. Of course, we talked about that it is growing. You know, what else do you kind of expect from the market moving forward? Yeah, you know, we're in an interesting time. Uh, so interesting, right? Spectrums being auctioned, new coming available, technologies are changing, growing. It's exciting. Um, and I think from a small cell standpoint, you know, specifically, I think about private networks, right? That's now something that can be done a whole lot easier than, than before. And small cells play a pivotal role in that. Also, as smart cities start to um, clarify, get clarified and solidified what that really is, how small cells kind of converge into that area as well, because you already have the street furniture, right? The street application, it can serve, how does that serve both purposes? So you're right, there is this growth, but then there also is, I think, this convergence that will happen. Kat, what about you? What do you kind of see for the future of small cell? I agree. I think it's a growth in adding additional frequencies that are being deployed, whether it's more millimeter wave or CBRS just got auctioned. C-band is coming up as well. Um, and then a little bit lower, 3.45 to 3.55. Next year is getting, excuse me, next year is getting auctioned as well. Um, so additional frequencies and capacity from a wireless uh, spectrum perspective, but also to Edis's point, it's cramming more stuff onto each pole for lack of a technical term. So trying to get as much functionality out of each of these deployments as possible to enable more technology to be utilized um, as we get more applications and use cases for 5G, especially in machine to machine and IoT space they're going to start requiring more, whether it's sensors or cameras or any sort of smart city technology to be deployed with these small cells in order to make all of their technology work. All right, like Idis and Kat, like thanks so much for coming on to Well Technically and explaining technology to me. I had a lot of fun. Thank you, so did I. It was great. Yeah, we appreciate you asking us. Of course. Well, Technically is an Arden Media production. For advertising inquiries, contact Danny Miller at dmiller at ardenmedia.com. Today's show was produced and edited by me, Catherine Speglia.